0: to the Print Shop and this week's podcast of Dad's Hometown Memories. In this podcast I want to answer some inquiries that provide some history of the buildings that are shown in the new mural at the corner of Griffin Street and St. Catherine Street on the brick wall. The mural was erected and dedicated at a ceremony some few weeks ago by the West Lincoln Heritage Committee in cooperation with the Township of West Lincoln and the Niagara region. The building on the left shows the train station, then the Toronto-Hamilton-Buffalo railway line, which first provided rail service to the community on December 30th, 1895. The first leg of the rail line was from Hamilton to Welland. In later years, it was completed from Toronto to Buffalo. Mr. Robert Murgatroyd Sr. was the driving force behind the railway coming through Smithville and was later appointed a provisional director of the T H B Railway. The first train station in Smithville was built in 1896. A few years later it was hit by lightning and burn. In 1903, the bigger, much more beautiful station was erected. The one-story frame building boasts of a broad, medium hip roof, a circular bay at the corner with a tall turret over it and a gable over the operator's bay. Exquisite decorative wood shingle trim on the gable and turret and beneath the eaves. It is the only existing CPE station of this type. The first station agent was John Macdonald. Other agents over the years were Walter Angle, Charles Hawkins, Henry Bud Frith, and Stanley Silea. A large water tower was built near the tracks just east of the station. This provided water for the big steam engines. Water was pumped from the 20-mile creek to the station tower from a pump house at the creek behind the Smithville Creamery property. This water line was dug by hand from the pump house to the station tower, which was a great construction job in those days. The water line started out from the pump house and went between the E.B. Acton home and the Cedric Murdy's home and on up South Street, it was called the Back Hill in my early days, then on St. Catherine Street to Brock Street to the water tower where it flowed through a purifier. The treatment of the water was necessary because if the flues in the locomotive boilers corroded, it would put the locomotive out of service. The first person to man the pumpos was R.J. Baldwin, followed by Ab Edwards and Lon Jennings. The first engines for the pumping of the water was run on soft coal followed by, followed by gasoline and later on hydro where it came to, when hydro came to Smetville. Passenger service was one train a day both ways plus freight service also. In the early 1920s, passenger service was doubled and later on in the 1930s and 40s, there was three passenger trains a day both ways and the mail was delivered by train back then. Parcel delivery was also a major part of the business for the trains. The passenger service all stopped on April 26, 1981. Only the freight office was left until later years. The railway yards in the early years were used for shipping cattle as there was a stockyard. Several merchants had coal delivered by train and had coal sheds for unloading also. In the early years, the TH&B operated a market train at 8 a.m. which passed through the local stations such as Silverdale, Sun Ann, Smithville, Grassy and others on the way into Hamilton where the farmer's market was located. It returned at 5 p.m. The farmers and other locals would take their produce along with eggs, butter, chickens, turkeys, ducks and geese Remember also, there was no refrigeration at that time. Mr. William Page told me the story about the rail line to Dunville and the building of the Y, a rail term at that time. The stone stone from the local quarry was used to build the base in 1914, which was situated next to the line in those days. In 1916, it was extended to Port Maitland. In the early 1900s, there was a pasture service three times daily from Hamilton to Smithville and then to Dunville, passing through Vaughan Station and Port Davidson. Students attending high school in Dunville or Smithville used a train. Also, there were livestock yards and facilities for shipping and receiving coal, grain, fertilizer, and farm produce. My, how times have changed as we see the expansion of the rail passenger service in Niagara coming back and will be expanded in the near future. The train station in Smithville was moved a short distance from the tracks in later years and a basement was dug under it. It is now the home of the West Lincoln Historical Society and a tenant is the West Lincoln Chamber of Commerce. The Murgatroyd building is shown on the mural The building was built in the mid-1800s by R. Murgatroyd and Sons, which consisted of three floors. It was a remarkable building in that the foundation consisted of burned huge timbers that were set in a trench three wide, and the brick building was built on that foundation. The brick walls were three bricks wide with a space in between the second and third. It had a loading dock at the rear for the second floor. In the early days, all buildings were built on the property line with the sidewalks in front. The second floor covered just half of the building and it was open at the front, with a stair leading up to it. Half of the second floor was for office space. Robert C. Murgatroyd was born near Troy, New York in 1823. He came to Smithville with his parents, Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Murgatroyd, about 1830. For a number of years, the family under the name of Thomas Murgatroyd and Sons had a carriage factory along the Twenty Creek, southeast of the bridge. Around 1852, Murgatroyd and Russ built steam engines in Smithville. The first engine was used in a sawmill on the Elliott property on Canberra Street. In 1871, this sawmill was taken over by Elliott, Elliott and Woodland. Robert Murgatroyd and his brother Midgley also engaged in grist milling and wood carting. In 1881, a business was formed, namely R. Murgatroyd and Sons, Robert Jr. and Ellis. A private bank was established where inhabitants could get financial assistance, which they, operate, which they operated until the Union Bank of Canada opened, a branch in Smithville in 1905. Robert Murgatroyd Sr., with the help of Bisha Morris, was instrumental in having the first high school established in Smithville In 1910, R.J. Goring and son bought the building from Mercatroids, where they operated a general store. This store handled a little bit of everything, including groceries, hardware, clothes, shoes, and furniture, etc. At this time, a wooden pump was erected on a drilled well right out front of this building on the street corner. Many of the village people would carry water from this pump for their own use in their homes. Mr. Field was thought to have stalled the pump and it was encased in wood. Mr. Sam Madger, who came to Smithville in 1922 and after outgrowing several locations, bought the building from R. Goring in 1927. The business sold clothing, boots and shoes. He had an x-ray machine which you stood on where he could see the outline of your foot which helped provide a better fit. Mr. Madger vacated this property later and moved across the street into the Hodgkins building. After vacant for a few years, the Murgatroyd building was bought and Mr. Paul Ludwig established a knitting factory with knitted ties and other goods. After the knitting factory closed up and the building set vacant for a few years, Peter Boersmer presented a plan to the township council to preserve the building and to plan for a commercial space and also residential. The township turned it down because of parking. Although parking is a big problem for every commercial space on our main streets because they were built that way in the early years, some communities have found ways to provide parking and have expanded their downtown and others have been stagnant. Murgatroyd built the remaining buildings in this block on Griffin Street. The first one built in 1916, operated under the name of Fitzpatrick and Company, and they sold dry goods, clothing, and groceries. In 1918, it was sold to Messrs T.L. Baker and E.B. Smith, who operated the same type of business. In later years, Ernie Gale operated a grocery business here. Then A.G. Boulder operated a butcher shop, in the 1950s and 60s, this building was for the bell telephone switching. Some three to six ladies worked here. In my memory, if my memory serves me right, some of the ladies I remember that worked there under the supervision of Margaret Scott and Miss C. Lee were Glenna Zulick, Don Hill, Jean Inglis Top, Barb Shepard Kilpatrick, How many citizens remember their phone number during this time? The next building built by Mercatoid and Sons was their own law office in 1916. The Mercatroids completed the building of this section of the village with the addition of the Frank Hayes Hardware. The original hardware business located across the street burned in 1916. These buildings were separated from the next block by a Short Street that was later named Frank Street. Canada. This is, in my opinion, was one of the great architectural buildings in our village, and it was unfortunate that the local officials were not able to convince the Royal Bank that at least the facade should be used in the new building. The Murgatroyd family started the first financial institution here in the village and was one of a group of local citizens who encouraged the Union Bank to come to Smithfield. The Royal Bank of Canada established a branch in the village in the year 1919 and were located first in the Zimmerman Building on the corner of Station, Griffin and West Streets. In 1925, the Royal Bank purchased the assets of the Union Bank and the premises. The first manager for the Royal Bank was T.E. Gage from 1919 to 1920. A. A. Hutchison served as bank manager during the takeover from 1921 to 1931. The building was two-story and an apartment was on the second floor for the manager and his family. The picture of the three buildings on the mural shows the Masonic Hall, the village post office, and the drugstore. The history of the Masonic Hall shows that it was first built as a UFO Hall and it was a frame building which was built in the late 1800s on the west side of Griffin Street. It burned in 1922. During the time from when it was built, several businesses were located in the UFO Hall, namely G.A. Snick and James Augusta operated a tailor shop and Bert Griffin had a public library on the second floor. Following the fire, the Masonic Hall was built in 1923. The funds for the building came from the local citizens who bought bonds. According to statistics, the bonds were never redeemed and were kept for keepsakes. Masonic Lodge has been meeting on the second floor for these many years. The first floor has been used for high school commencements, dances, fashion shows, and other community events. A number of local citizens recalled The history of street dances and boxing matches performed on the street in front of the masonic hall today the first floor is used for preschool classes the next building is the post office which was built by griffins in 1825 and smith griffin was the first postmaster george brant came to smithville in 1855 and took on the postmaster job his son john brant was postmaster from 1874 to 1916, he retired in 1917 and died in 1919. The next few years postmasters were T.M. Vance, 1916 to 1930, William Watson Camp from 1931 to 1942, Mrs. Jesse Oil Camp, 1942 to 1946, Lloyd Stanley Adams, 1946 to 1953, Miss Alta Rosl for three months, 1953. Roy Clayton Lester, 1953 to 1975. During the 1940s, Granny Spencer was a valuable employee of the post office. Art Ballard served many years as a delivery man for the mail from the railway station to the post office, usually twice a day. According to Canada Post archives, rural mail delivery for Smithville and area was started in 1909. The train would arrive in Smithville around 10 a.m., and shortly after the mail would be sorted, it was loaded in a four-wheel wagon, which was drawn by horses. In the wintertime, they used sleighs. James Chase, a local citizen, related the story that Mr. Sam Ecker was awarded the first contract, and he hired Mr. Mate Muir to drive the team of horses. The, the wagon was all covered in, and it had sliding doors on each side. In later years, there were three rural routes from the local post office. The third building is the first drugstore here in the village and was built by George Brandt, who was born in Basingstoke, England and came to Upper Canada with an English regiment. Later he settled in Smithville and became active in the village as a merchant, a druggist and an undertaker. He married Elizabeth Murgatroyd, a sister of Robert Murgatroyd Sr. His son, John B. Brandt, was born in 1855. John Brandt worked as a tinsmith and postmaster, and he took over the drugstore from his father. In 1912, R.J. Crosby, with a PhD, operated the drugstore as a druggist and a stationer. In 1922, William Henderson bought the drugstore. The original store burned in 1925, and the present brick building was built. I recall when the new building was rebuilt, it had a small soda fountain just inside the front door to the right. According to the records, the first telephone service came to Smithville in 1905 and an office was opened in GW Brandt's drugstore. Mr. Brandt acted as a manager. When Mr. Brandt was succeeded by William Mall on January 1911, the telephone office was moved across the street into the Martin block. The first year, the service had five subscribers. In the telephone directory that was issued in 1912, there was 109 registered telephone users in Smithville, having some 65 and the balance in the outlying area. Some of the names and numbers were Charles L. Adams, baker and confectioner, 2R11, Robert Book, lumberman, 20 r 2 a. Boulder and Sons Meats and Groceries, 6. M. B. Cosby Farm Implements, 25. Samuel Fisher, Cider Mill, 19. R. 13. R. J. Goring, Merchant, 15. Charles Grassy, Residence, 2R2. Dr. N. P. Henning, Physician, 8. Jacob Morley, Miller, Flour and Feed, 19. R. 2. William B. Shrum, Coal Dealer, 19R12. M. Zimmerman, Tinsmith & Hardware, 17. The last picture shows a corner of St. Catharines and Griffin Streets with the restaurant on the corner. In my time, I remembered the Marks family operating the restaurant and following them was the Jolly Howe family. Along with the restaurant, the Howe family renovated the basement. Along with the restaurant, the Howe family renovated the basement and added a pool room. This restaurant was all part of the Martin block, which had three commercial spots on the street level and the residence upstairs, along with an office where Dr. W.C. Limburner operated a dental office from 1930s to the 70s. So now it is time to close up shop and head home for an evening with the family. I hope you find some interesting tidbits and refresh your memory, so that of what our village was like in early years. God bless.